Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. For the first time since 2019, it is time to get excited again for the summer movie season, which kicks off this weekend with a big one. I'm Jeff Braun. Yes, it's a Marvel movie weekend with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. We'll also tee up some of the other big summer movies that we are excited about, and we will review the season finale. As Jeff mentioned, it's a Marvel weekend at the movies. Well, it was a Marvel week on TV, the show Moon Knight. But let's start with that new MCU movie in theaters now, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Everything strange. I did what I had to do to protect our world. You opened the doorway between universes, and we don't know who or what will walk through it. It was the only way. I'm sorry, Stephen. Your desecration of reality will not go unpunished. Benedict Cumberbatch returns as the master of the mystic arts, Doctor Strange. And actually, it hasn't been very long since we saw him last, as he was in Spider-Man No Way Home at Christmas. In that movie, he cracked open the multiverse, and bad things happened, and some good things happened. We got to see a couple of old Spider-Mans come through, for one thing. But it looks like more bad things will continue in this movie from that move. Chiwetel Ejiofor returns as Mordo, who was the Ancient One's right-hand man in the first Doctor Strange movie back in 2016. That movie ended with him upset with Strange for screwing with the natural law that they're supposed to protect, and it looks like he's still a little miffed about that. Other familiar faces include Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda, last seen in seclusion in the woods after the events of the WandaVision show on Disney+. Benedict Wong is back as Wong, who is a Sorcerer Supreme ever since the blip. He's a top 10 MCU character for me. I just love that guy. Rachel McAdams and Michael Stuhlbarg are also back. They were doctors in the first Doctor Strange movie. And frankly, both of those actors are very welcome additions to any movie I see. But of course, the real star of this movie is going to be the special effects, courtesy director Sam Raimi of original Spider-Man trilogy fame. I rewatched the first movie last night, and thank God, because I totally forgot that Chiwetel Ejiofor was even in it. And that was a pretty trippy movie, but the trailers for this sequel look even more bananas. I'm very excited to go see this on the big screen. The first Doctor Strange was the only theatrically released MCU movie that I did not see in theater, and that's always kind of bugged me. And I'm guessing the box office is going to be monstrous. I got to say, I was a little surprised when I went online to buy my ticket a week ago. And all the weekend matinees for this weekend were already sold out and the same for Monday afternoon, but somehow not for this afternoon. So I'm going to go see it four hours from right now as we record this. Brett, what about you? You excited for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? Oh, first of all, good job securing a ticket for today. That is exciting stuff. But yes, I am yeah. very very excited for this because of the possibilities that this movie looks like it is poised to unleash in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In the Disney Plus Marvel cartoon that aired a few months back, What If? Uh, what If is it's, it's, it's a long-running comic in Marvel where they just do What If? And they tell an alternate version of a story or they, they go to a different 
universe of Marvel where there might be zombie characters or whatever. That just it it gives them the opportunity to do something completely off the wall that doesn't fit into their current canon. So we got to meet all kinds of interesting characters. For example, what if Captain America was never Captain America? What if it was Captain Carter, as in Peggy Carter, Agent Carter, back when they first tried out the super serum? So in that episode, she hops into that sort of cocoon thing that turned Steve Rogers into Captain America. Well, she becomes Captain Carter, and it was Awesome! It was so good. I just love the idea of a live-action Captain Carter. And based on the trailers, it looks like we might be getting that, but I don't know. There is a shield of some sort, and it looks like it's her shield, but I'm not going to, you know, I'll just wait to see it. And it looks like this is how they're going to introduce the X-Men into the MCU. I saw one image, I don't know... If it was just somebody making their own stuff, but it looked like maybe... Well, I don't want to give away too much here. Like These things are in the trailer, but it looks like there are going to be a lot of characters coming in that we've been waiting to see officially in the MCU. But uh, I think that the one problem with this movie... It, it, the, the common criticism I'm seeing is that it just it sort of buckles under its own weight because there's just so much going on and uh, almost to the point of, of just sort of lunacy. But they say it's still entertaining. Like it's got 79% on uh, the Rotten Tomatoes, the critics' consensus. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness labors under the weight of the sprawling MCU, but Sam Raimi's distinctive direction casts an entertaining spell. So that's good. And apparently Elizabeth Olsen delivers yet another. They say it's the best performance she's given yet in all of her Marvel stuff, which says a lot because she was nominated for an Emmy for WandaVision. She was extraordinary in that. So uh, I'm excited to see what she does and excited to see her powers and how they match up against Doctor Strange and uh, the other masters of the mystic arts the other wizards i don't know because she is a powerful super powerful witch right so yeah man i'm pumped i'm pumped for dr strange right on and uh it's obviously just the first of many big movies that will follow over the next couple of months and we thought we'd take a look at some of the ones we're most eagerly anticipating and i think at the top of my list anyways and i know the top of the list for a lot of people later this month fingers crossed perhaps the most anticipated movie of the summer in Top Gun Maverick. Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. You were here at the request of Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. I tend to push your limits. Show me what you're made of. Nice. Having any fun yet? Top Gun Maverick. The long-awaited sequel to the 1986 Tom Cruise classic about fighter jet pilots. And we're not kidding when we say long-awaited because Top Gun Maverick was supposed to come out in July 2019. It got pushed back a year so they could work on the flight sequences some more. And then, of course, the pandemic hit and it got 
got pushed back several times. It was sort of snake bitten because just when we thought it would come out, a new variant or something would crop up and it would get pushed back another six, eight months. I think there have been four trailers and almost every movie I've gone to in the last few years when I could featured a trailer for Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> it's, I, I've never seen more trailers for a movie in my life. They've been playing nonstop for three years. So later this month on May 27th, the movie should finally open, barring some other crazy thing we can't anticipate. I'm pretty sure you could already put the plot together, given all the trailers they have put out. The broad strokes seem to be that Tom Cruise returns to Top Gun to be the teacher, this time for a group of young hotshot pilots, uh, including Miles Teller, who plays the son of the dear departed Goose from the first movie. He even has the same dumb mustache as dear old dad. Uh, Top Gun Maverick just looks awesome. I can't wait to see it, Brett. What about you? Yeah, I'm pumped too. And actually, only just recently have I gotten excited about this because I watched a video about some of the early reviews that came out of, I think it was called CinemaCon, where this thing screened. And the critics who were there, for the most part, raved about it. Uh, some were saying I was, I think one one of them said something like, I was not prepared for how emotional this movie was going to be. Another person said, this is the best movie of the year, bar none. Uh, hmm. That is not what I expected at all. Because <laughs> no like when you consider the first Top Gun movie, I know it's a beloved classic, but 57% from the critics, like it was not a critically acclaimed film, but it uh, no, doesn't have to not be. A, and it's story-wise and plot-wise, you know, it's not a very good movie, but the flying sequences in it are amazing. I watched it just a year or two ago, and I was, again, like just as, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, that's such impressive uh, photography of the fighter jets. For, from 1986, it blew my mind, actually. Yeah, so I'm very excited to see what they do in this one, especially with Tom Cruise and his willingness to perform his own stunts. He's a madman. He is just a yep. madman, but if it, <laughs> it, it, it helps so much when you can see the face, right? So to see him in a cockpit doing this stuff. I'll tell you what's definitely not going to be the best movie of the year. At, at The most we can hope for is that it's just a lot of fun. And that would be the sixth Jurassic Park movie that's coming out in June called Jurassic World Dominion. The doomsday clock might be out of time. Come back. I always come back. We're on the verge of extinction. Let's all try to stay positive. Nobody said saving the planet would be easy. Is that a dinosaur on your shoulder? Yeah. Why? Ready PG-13. At the end of the last movie, Fallen Kingdom, a bunch of the dinosaurs got loose on the mainland, and Dominion looks like it'll be all about how these dinosaurs and humans coexist, so it's bound to get pretty messy. They're bringing back the whole gang from the original this time, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum, as well as the main characters from the newer movies, Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, and Blue, the Velociraptor. And it looks like the old gang will actually have stuff to do. In the lead-up to Fallen Kingdom, the studio made a lot of hay out of the fact that Jeff Goldblum was returning and then he just had two pointless scenes where he talked to Congress or something. It was incredibly disappointing, but that whole movie was terrible and the Jurassic Park franchise has been very hit or miss 
over the years. In fact, I think a lot of people think that all the sequels suck. I like The Lost World, the second movie, which was also directed by Steven Spielberg, like the first one. And I like the first Jurassic World. Uh, I'll leave JP3 on if I come across it, but that's not a good movie. And uh, hopes are high for Dominion, but it could easily go after uh, go either way. We'll, we'll find out on June 10th, but I always like watching the dinosaurs, Brett. Yeah, I'm excited to see that one too. The latest trailer came out just in the last week, I think, and it uh, looks exciting, and uh, I am excited to see the original cast come back. Hopefully it makes sense and it doesn't just feel like they've been crammed in for the sake of nostalgia yeah. or to, to put a bow on everything. So, yeah, there's some good movies coming. We got a couple more that we want to pass along and tell you about next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and the summer movie season begins this weekend with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We're both excited to see it, and we've been talking about some of the other movies coming up this summer that we're excited to see, things like Top Gun Maverick and Jurassic World Dominion. I think the movie I'm most curious about will be Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. I wish to promote you, Mr. Presley. Are you ready to fly? I'm ready. Ready to fly. Tomorrow, all of America will be talking about Elvis Presley. Martin Luther King has been shot to death in Memphis. That's all right for you. Tragedy, but it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with us. I'm on before the shoot, and nobody's gonna remember me. I need to get back to who I really am. And who are you, Oz? Elvis is played by Austin Butler. He was uh, memorable as Manson family member Tex in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Tom Hanks plays Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis Presley's promoter, who had an enormous influence on his life and career. Director Boz Lerman, known for his larger-than-life visuals and storytelling, and the story of Elvis Presley seems like it should be a great fit for his bombastic style, and the trailer certainly showcases it. Looks like the movie will run the gamut of his career, starting out as a skinny boy singing Heartbreak Hotel at small town dance hall concerts in the mid 50s to his final tragic days in the summer of 77. It looks great, and even if it isn't, it'll at least be filled with some great music. Boz Lerman's Elvis hitting theaters June 24th. And there's also a new Thor movie coming out this summer talking about the MCU. That may, in fact, end up being the biggest box office draw of the year. These hands were once used for battle. Now they're but humble tools for peace. I need to figure out exactly who I am. I want to choose my own path. Live in the moment. My superheroing days are over. No, I don't think they are. Not quite yet. I do doubt, though, that Thor Love and Thunder will eclipse Spider-Man No Way Home at the box office, but Thor must be about the second biggest name in the MCU now that Iron Man and Captain America have retired. Taika Waititi is back behind the camera after breathing new life into the Thor branch of the MCU with Ragnarok, and the teaser that came out a couple of weeks ago had a lot of humor that we you know, now come to expect from the God of Thunder, and it looks like Natalie Portman returns as the 
goddess of thunder? I know the comic book nerds already know what's going on, but the rest of us will find out, Brett, on July 8th. All right. And uh, what else you got here? I see you got a couple more on your list. Uh, yeah, let me scroll right down. I'm on the fence about uh, there's an upcoming Jordan Peele horror movie called Nope. The trailer is great. It looks like uh, aliens invading the California countryside or something. It's a teaser trailer. They don't really show anything. But I'm also a scaredy cat, of course, so <laughs> I'm always hesitant for the horror movies. Even the Jordan Peele ones, which uh, are not particularly gory or anything to this point. His movie Get Out is amazing. I even bought that one. I've watched it many times. And his last movie, Us, was really good. Uh, I enjoyed the premise of it, that there was a society of doppelgangers living underground and one day they rise up to kill us that one though gave me nightmares for months for real which i did not enjoy in the slightest so uh for me it'll be a game time decision whether or not i do see nope that's out july 22nd and there's a new downton abbey movie coming out may 18th i can't remember what even happened the last one but i know i enjoyed it and as long as they keep making downton abbey movies i'll definitely go see those yeah i saw that on your list or i saw that on the list and thought oh my goodness i didn't even know that was coming jeff is probably excited and uh one more movie i want to mention here is not in theaters it's on disney plus debuting May 20th. It's Chippendale Rescue Rangers. And it's set 30 years after their series ended. Chip and Dale have kind of gone their separate ways and then they come back together. One of them is CG. One of them is traditional animation. Looks really interesting. That looks like fun. In a moment, we're going to go from what's new at the movies to something old at the movies that Jeff checked out this week. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. In a couple of moments, we are going to tell you what we thought about Moon Knight, the Marvel series that wrapped up this week on Disney+. Plus. But Jeff Braun, you went back into the vault. Yeah, I, I randomly watched two movies in one day this week that had some eerie similarities, and I just thought it'd be fun to talk about it for a second. The first movie I watched was Clint Eastwood's 1997 crime thriller, Absolute Power. The man's a thief. A thief who witnessed a murder. Absolute Power is the first must-see movie of 1997. Clint Eastwood is at the top of his game as director and star. You know who did it, don't you? So will you. A gripping thriller with just the right mix of humor, suspense, and action. You'll make a mistake. Then what? Then I kill him. That's entirely unacceptable. Absolute Power. Rated R. That's Optimus Prime's voice. That's Peter <laughs> Cullen. <laughs> the gut, the 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 trailer voice guy. Yeah, uh, that's funny. He must have done a lot of those, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was just, I was hunting for something to watch uh, Saturday night, and somehow it came up as a title while I was scrolling through. I got excited because you know I'd seen the movie before, but it had probably been 15 years, and I'd only seen it once. And honestly, outside of the basic premise, I couldn't remember anything about it. It's not an Eastwood classic or anything, but he you know he just has a lot of really solid cop or crime movie, so I wanted to give it a shot. I clicked on it uh, to find out that it wasn't available until Sunday, May 1st. They just had a sort of a, a day before, like, heads up that here it's coming. So I woke up the next day. I made my morning coffee. I settled in for it. It was the perfect setting, a rainy day, a lazy Sunday. Let's go, Clint. And it was exactly what I wanted. Over and over again, I kept saying to myself, this movie is awesome. He plays this cap burglar who, while robbing a mansion, witnesses the president of the United States murder a woman he's having an affair with, with an assist from the Secret Service in the killing. And the movie is about the president and his chief of staff trying to cover it up and Eastwood trying to somehow put one over on the president. And that president is played excellently by Gene Hackman, who is one of my 
favorite actors of all time, probably my favorite actor of all time. And then a, a few hours later, I was scrolling around and I do a search for Gene Hackman movies because I got Gene Hackman on my mind. And one pops up on the service Tubi that I'd never seen before called No Way Out. It's from um, 1987 and it stars Kevin Costner and Gene Hackman. And I don't know that I'd even ever heard of it before, but with a title like No Way Out, it's hard to tell. I know I'd definitely never seen it before. And I sort of thought, well, if it's 35 years old and I'm not even sure I've heard of it, how good could it be? So I Googled Roger Ebert's review, four stars out of four. Good enough for me. I hit play. And uh, spoilers coming for 1987's No Way Out. Uh, My jaw dropped 40 minutes into the movie when Gene Hackman, who plays the Secretary of Defense, a very high-ranking government official, murders his mistress and then tries to cover it up with his chief of staff. He is literally playing the same guy in both of those movies. In fact, they could have given him the same character name and had him actually be the same character because it's not out of the realm of possibility for a Secretary of Defense to be president 10 years later. Anyways, the coincidence, it just blew my mind. It's weird that Gene Hackman has that in his career. It's weirder still that I just happened to watch both those movies on the same day without knowing that. They're both great, by the way. They both have bad titles, but they're both very much well worth your watching. Uh, Absolute Power is out on Netflix. No Way Out is on Tubi. That's T-U-B-I. It's a free streamer. You just have to watch a few commercials. So a couple of great old thrillers there uh, where Gene Hackman pretty much plays the same guy in each one. That is nuts that you just happen to watch both of those movies <laughs> the same day. Wow. Wow. I had yeah. no. I, I, I don't remember either of those movies. So now good. No so Way Out, curious. I think, is probably a better movie because, like, the, the plot of that thing is just insane. The the conundrum that uh, Kevin Costner finds himself trying to find his way out of, of which there is no way out. That's better. But a Clint Eastwood movie's always got Clint Eastwood, so that sort of gives it the edge of my books. All right. In the meantime, this week marks the end of the line for the latest Marvel show on Disney Plus. Moon Knight, and if you've never heard of Moon Knight, which is entirely likely, we'll explain in 45 seconds. First... You really don't remember our adventures or our life together. God, I wish I could. I don't know how to explain what's been happening. I can't tell the difference between lies (laughs) and dreams. Now only on Disney+. Plus. You're in the middle of a personal crisis. Experience the six-episode event. Your identities... A mask to hide the scars. They are not something to be feared. But something to be welcomed. You looked different. Marvel Studios Moon Knight, now streaming. So in the superhero world, there are the big mainstream heroes like Spider-Man and Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Iron Man, Captain America, the Hulk, etc., But there is a gigantic legion of comic book heroes that will pretty much only be known by comic book readers or superhero geeks. I say that lovingly, by the way, because I'm a geek, and yet my knowledge of the full superhero-dom is small. Moon Knight is definitely one of those characters that you've probably never heard of. Oscar Isaac plays Mark Spector, a mercenary who becomes the avatar for the Egyptian god of the moon, Khonshu. He becomes the fist of Khonshu, doling out justice as Moon Knight. He's got a really cool costume that appears out of nowhere and wraps him in white cloth, and he has glowing white eyes, and that's pretty much all you need to know about the the hero. He looks cool, and he beats people up 
good. But the guy behind the mask is what's really interesting about Moon Knight. When we first meet him, we don't meet him as Mark Spector. We meet him as Stephen Grant, an Englishman working in a museum gift shop in London. Turns out he has dissociative identity disorder. So both Mark and Stephen live inside of him. In the comics, there were actually more personalities. And uh, Stephen's having a problem discerning reality from his dreams. He chains himself to his bed so he doesn't wake up in weird places, but the problem is he starts more and more to wake up in weird places and often in violent situations where he has to flee for his life because Mark pops in from time to time to do Moon Knighty stuff or at least Mark Spectery mercenary stuff. Eventually they meet Ethan Hawke's Arthur Harrow who has some scary abilities and a plan to basically end the world by unleashing an angry god. Six episodes, all around 40 minutes or so. Jeff, what'd you think? I thought it was uh, a, a great show, a great finale, nice and short. It was the, the last episode was only half an hour, and usually with this streaming shows, the finale is 10 to 15 minutes longer than the other episodes of the series. It quickly wrapped up wherever was left from last week and got to the inevitable showdown between the good guys and the bad guys and then wrapped it all up just neat and quick. And the showdown was fun. I really liked you know watching a Moon Knight fight. I wish there had been more of that throughout the season because he really – Looks like a badass when he's fighting his good stuff. And then the sort of the background showdown between Khonshu and Amit and their giant forms beside the pyramids. It just looked incredible. I mean, as far as formulaic as the MCU can be, they usually are still pretty good about giving you something to look at that you have not seen before. And that was certainly the case here. And actually, the rest of the show wasn't as formulaic as some of the others. Last week, for example, was a big digression from the other episodes in the series. I will say, though, you can still you know, pretty easily see how these six episodes could have been shrunk into a tight two-and-a-half-hour movie instead, but this is definitely one of the lesser offenders when it comes to that of these MCU shows we've been getting for just over a year now. It was a good show, a weird show. I'm honestly not 100% sure that I followed all of it, but I think I got the gist, and uh, you know, when it comes to a big skeletal bird fighting a crocodile, I mean, what else do you really need to know anyways? I didn't, it didn't really overtly tie into anything else in the MCU that I notice or can recall it right now. Uh, this would be a first for one of these Disney Plus shows, but who knows? We'll see. We'll see where Moon Knight could pop up in one of the movies or one of the other shows or anywhere, I suppose. Yeah, I hope he comes back because I really loved this show. I have not read extensively Moon Knight's comics, but I've read some of them and I always enjoyed them. I didn't think it could be adapted to you know live action. I thought his costume would, would never work because it's ghost white in the comics and it looks awesome on the page, but what looks great on the page doesn't always look great in real life so what they did with the by muting some of the colors turning it more into a beige i think uh really helped it but i yeah i was a little disappointed in the 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 action you know i feel like they just sort of teased us they gave us a taste here a taste there but we never got the full meal so that's too bad because the costume looks great and i enjoyed how ferocious but elegant moon knight is so yeah like you i enjoyed the fighting but there was so much more to like about this show than dislike the way they handled the mental health stuff lots of diversity in the show and we're actually going to get more into that in a moment but Oscar Isaac did say there are no official plans for a second season but he says he'd be open to coming back to play the characters again 
because he loved playing Stephen Grant because he was a fun, physically goofy character. If I had to guess, I would suggest that Moon Knight might end up on that team that Julia Louis-Dreyfus's mysterious government character is putting together. I think she's putting together a secret Avengers team, so maybe the Moon Knight will end up there. But in a moment, we're going to actually dive a little bit deeper into how they handle the mental health stuff because this could have been very clumsy, but I've got an expert who says, no way. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We're going to do something a little different than usual. We don't normally do interviews on this show, but on the subject of Moon Knight, I want you to hear what a friend of mine has to say because he's both a psychologist and a community advocate for all things diversity and celebrating all cultures. Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman is his name, and we were texting each other about Moon Knight. And I was curious to know what he thought of how they handled the mental health component, given that the main hero is dealing with dissociative identity disorder. And not only was Raymond thrilled with that side of the show, but he was also thrilled with the varying layers of diversity in Moon Knight. So let me introduce to you, in case you've never heard his voice, Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. And a heads up that we do venture into some spoiler territory here, but nothing too big. Curious to know, as a mental health expert, what do you think of the way that they've handled this component of the show? Yeah, I, I thought it was really quite beautiful. As somebody who's generally pretty cynical, I thought I thought everything they did in the show was quite quite wonderful and brilliant. Um, you know, I, I think a backstory or origin stories are really important for superheroes, and to incorporate how people got to who they were today is really important. And what I found particularly really helpful about the representation of what is actually a very severe mental illness, dissociative identity disorder, is that they showed him as generally very well-functioning. We tend to look at um, people with mental illness as people who are cast-offs, people who don't have their wits about them and aren't always very functional. And here we have somebody with a very severe mental illness and serves very well as a superhero, right? So very functional. And I thought, to me, that was very profound. And what about some of the uh, the cause for his his uh, disorder? You know, it, it dates. It, it seems to date back to parental abuse, but they they the abuse that was portrayed is not what we're used to seeing. No, and that was the other piece of it. So it talks about trauma, and I don't know that you know trauma is, tends to be kind of glamorized usually, right? Like, I mean, we think about Batman and how he got to be where he is, you know, in the death of his parents. Like that's that's usually how we tend to look at trauma. And what we're talking about here with Moon Knight was actually abuse. And we tend not to talk about abuse. Abuse tends to have, you know, a stigma tied to it. But in addition to that, it's talking about abuse by a mother. And we, we don't tend to do that. And research actually shows that mothers are actually um, significant contributors to abuse for children. And in this case, physical abuse. We tend to think about mothers performing at best emotional abuse. But in this case, it was clearly far more severe than that. So much so that it caused a tear in his personality, you know, that he separated that identity to protect himself from that memory. What about the what about the diversity in the show, Raymond? I mean, you've made uh, some observations that uh, I hadn't really picked up on just how diverse this show is. Well, you know, I, I mean, to me, this is where it's really important to have diverse people as artists in shows. And uh, Mohamed Diab, who's uh, an Egyptian a screenwriter and producer uh, did this show. And he brought all of his experience into it. And the more I watch this, the more I recognize all these things. So I was 
I was watching the show. Initially, I was like, you know, I, you know, Oscar Isaac presents as white. So initially, I'm like, well, you know, this is like a, this is a show that's based on an Egyptian character. I mean, they should have somebody. Turns out, Mark Spector is actually Jewish, and I think in the story was meant to be. I think in the story is like uh, his father survived the Holocaust is from Czechoslovakia, so like European Jews, like Ashkenazi Jews. But in this show, he's a Mizrahi Jew. He's like a person of color. And I thought that was really fascinating. So when I saw that, I was really impressed. But to go one step further, uh, his partner and sidekick, Layla, is portrayed um, by actress May, what's her name? Uh I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, May uh, May Kalamawi, um, and May is both Egyptian and Palestinian, and so to bridge that, you know, where you have um, two like a, a partnership, you know, two lovers on on what would people people would typically see on opposite ends of a spectrum of a conflict. Here are partners, right? And I thought that was really beautiful and quite wonderful. Um, Listening to the show, and so Layla, the character's name Layla, actually means the night or dark, um, and I thought that was fascinating. And then pulling back into mental health, you know how we tend to look at um, mental illness as you know some sense of darkness, and then they added these layers. Like uh, so, one of the songs that came on um, was actually a song by Um Kulthum, who is um, you know this old Egyptian singer who's considered to be the voice of Egypt. And she she had a reign in, in her singing from the 20s to the to, to the 70s, and I remember my father listening to her. Um, and they pull her in, you know, and she's singing actually about the night and the dark as well too. So there's these layers and these complexities that I think make the story very rich. And so anybody who's got that background or is familiar with that really appreciates all of that. What really impresses me about this show is they managed to fit all of this in without like. It, none of it's in your face, right? Sometimes no. when you watch shows, uh, you know, they really want to ram the message down your throat. And not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but I like that you can just watch this show and enjoy it for what it is, an entertaining story. Yeah. But if you want to look a little deeper, there's all kinds of stuff there that's really important. Yeah, no, absolutely. For me, it was just, I think the way things should be done is that this is just part of life. So rather than making a key issue, we just kind of integrate it you know, into everything we talk about. Psychologist Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman joining us on the Couch Potatoes. Thank you very much, Raymond, for your thoughts on Moon Knight. And that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.